we're talking about the rapture uh, in our new podcast. Appreciate you being here, and we've been talking about a lot of other things. And but I didn't do this in the other ones, but your website, your information, this this it brings in, it leads into what I, the question I want to I want to ask. You, yeah. So. so not by works ministries. We've been around since 1999, and our core value is the clarity, accuracy, and urgency of the gospel message. And we do that by providing commentary and insight on you know geopolitical events of the day. Uh, but Titus three five is our foundational verse, which says not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us. So we are passionate about uh, the clarity of the gospel that it's by grace only. It's a free gift. It's not something that you have to make a pledge or commitment or promise. It's not a bilateral contract between you and God. It's a unilateral gift. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to the cross I cling. And that segues well into, or works coalesces well with our passion for end times prophecy mm -hmm. because of the urgency component, that things are really heating up and we know people need to, to be ready uh, because uh, the, today is the day of salvation. Mm -hmm. So here we have... Uh, Titus 3.5, not by works of righteousness. We have Galatians 2.16, not by works of the law will anybody be justified. So we have this language, um, even if we if we threw Galatians only in a Jewish context or Judaizing context, that's fine. It appears a couple of times there. But Titus 3.5, again, not by works of any kind of righteousness, not even necessarily uh, a, a, in a Mosaic law righteousness. So, of course, we have Ephesians, right? By grace, saved yeah. by faith through grace. So, not of works. It doesn't describe any qualifier there. Except can't boast by it. So my question is, is and this is the lead up, is I've been having interactions with people online where their their mentality, their thinking is that, they're, and they're even dispensational. So this is that's a good start. But that once the rapture happens during the tribulation, a a gospel is 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 required to be saved there. But it's a gospel that adds at least one work, and that one work is put in a negative context. Revelation fourteen that. They, in order to maintain their salvation or keep it or to whatever, they cannot take the mark of the beast. So let's unpack that a little bit, because certainly if you take the mark of the beast, it says you're con eternally condemned. Right. So is it the cart before the horse? I mean, you know, let's let's unpack this a little bit. Yeah, so it, it goes back to understanding grace and grace by definition cannot have any works connected to it in any way, before, after, or during. Paul makes this very clear in Romans 4, 4, and 5. Whatever's of grace is not of works. Whatever's of works is not of grace. Romans 11, 6, mm -hmm. same thing. Uh, so, you know, if, if you... If you add works to grace, it becomes a debt. It becomes, a, again, a conditional situation. So people need to understand that grace is absolutely free. Romans 3.24 says we are justified freely by His grace. So uh, this notion that somehow in the tribulation period, now you've got this added condition, which is not only do you have to believe in Jesus unto eternal life, that He died and rose again for your sins, but you must also not take the mark. That completely misunderstands what is going on there in Revelation 14. Is it descriptive, not prescriptive? In other words, um, the one and only condition for any human being, past, present, and future, since the fall of man, to be born again, to be saved, to have eternal life, is faith alone, plus mm -hmm. nothing. So in Revelation, it talks about, from a uh, descriptive context, that those who take the mark are going to hell, 
which means, but it doesn't say because they took the mark. Never says that. Mm -hmm. It just describes it's revealing it. something, right? It's, it's revealing something exactly. So this is where theological synthesis is crucial. Comparing scripture with scripture, you can't have one passage contradict a wealth of others. And of course, a, a, a fundamental hermeneutical rule is you always interpret the obscure in light of the clear. Agreed, yeah. So the clear is faith alone. You know, all the way back, Abraham was justified by faith, and so uh, clearly precisely what you have to believe about God and Christ changes as God unveils more of his word over time, progressive revelation. Mm -hmm. uh, and today it's plain enough in the New Testament that the, uh, the uh, content of saving faith is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again to pay our personal penalty for sin. That, that's it. You can state the gospel in 10 words or less. Christ died for our sins and rose from the dead. That's the gospel. Mm -hmm. um, you know, prior to the church age, people understood that salvation was only found in God. Take Abraham, for example. But he didn't understand the, all the details. He didn't understand necessarily. I say 53. Why? Right. Well, it hadn't been written yet. It hadn't written yet. It <laughs> hadn't been written for mm -hmm. 1,200 years. So, so, yeah, I mean, I think people need to just be logical. Um, you, you, the progress of Revelation, you can only believe what's been revealed, right? And so I think Abraham understood the, the substitutionary atonement aspect, certainly because God prefigured that through his experience with mm -hmm. Isaac. Uh, but ultimately, Abraham trusted in God as the only one who could solve his sin problem, that he couldn't do anything himself, mm -hmm. right? And so I, I think the everlasting gospel there in Revelation well, 14... Let's save that oh, sorry. For, for the next one. Okay, but but right. let's go... But, but you bring up something is... Well, clearly, when they sacrificed in the Old Testament, that was a work for salvation. Yeah. They, that why else do sacrifices? Yeah. No, no, it was it was not a work for salvation. Uh, it was a again a a shadow, as as the writer of Hebrews tells us, of the ultimate heavenly reality. And so it wasn't by going through the motions of those sacrifices and feasts and festivals and all that that an individual Jew was saved. He was saved the same way Abraham, the father of the mm -hmm. Jewish nation, was saved, and that is by faith. Mm -hmm. uh, but it prefigured that. And so uh, it, in the same way that Abraham and Isaac's experience prefigured it, we see lots of examples in the Old Testament demonstrating to the people of God that God is the one who has to provide salvation. So let's say you have, uh, you know, Judah... Well, I mean, not Judah. Let's just pick a, uh, any, any, I'm trying to pick of just a Judah, an unknown Judah living in the land of Israel uh, during the time of Hezekiah. Um, and he says, I, ref I love animals and I refuse to sacrifice. Yeah. Could he be saved? Of course. Yeah. He would be disobedient. He would be, you know, not following God's law. I mean, it goes back to the Ten Commandments. Could a person be saved who didn't keep the Ten Commandments? Yeah. I mean, David committed murder. And he was a believer. He was a man after God's own heart. So again, our position before a holy God of being declared righteous, that idea of imputation mm -hmm. and having the righteousness of God in Christ imputed to us. And by the way, Christ died for the sins of all humanity, past, present, and future. It happened in our timetable at a moment in time 2,000 years ago in 33 AD, I believe. But from God's perspective, it was in the eternal now, right? So it was still the blood of Jesus that paid for Abraham's sins and David's sins. But... Uh, you know, yeah, you don't have to keep the law to get into heaven. You keep the law because that's God's divine design. So another thing I'll throw at you is in the sense of understanding the difference between maybe personal salvation versus a theocratic salvation. What I mean by that is, okay, here you have this person 
refuses to do a sacrifice, um, God says, cut him off. So he might be personally saved, but he might be killed and kicked out of the national community because he, by, by the, by the Absolutely. leaders, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the, go, uh, go to the New Testament. First John tells us there is sin that leads to death. Mm-hmm. See, sin is an equal opportunity killer. It doesn't care whether you're a believer or not. If you fool around with sin, you're likely to die. Proverbs has repeated yeah. admonitions that, you know, the way of the fool leads to a shortened life and the way of the righteous leads to an, a prolonged life. I mean, that's a general principle. Sometimes godly saints die young and through no fault of their own sinful behavior. They just, we live in a fallen world. But sometimes dirty, rotten sinners live to a ripe old age too. But that doesn't change the principle that sin leads to death. James says sin when it's full grown brings forth yeah. death. So uh, absolutely, you know, we see lots of examples. Or oh, the perfect example from the Old Testament is uh, the children of Israel in the wilderness. I was just going to bring Hebrews. Yep. Are, are yep. we to believe that everybody but Joshua and Caleb is in hell today? We're spiritually, yeah, we're not spiritually saved. No, of course not. They received physical, physical death as a punishment. Because of their, you know, lack of faith and yep. so forth. They didn't inherit the promises, but they're certainly, not all of them, if they believed they were in heaven. I mean, I don't believe for a second that the, you know, millions of, of Jews, counting men, women, and children in the wilderness all personally believed. Some mm-hmm. of them might not have, yeah, we don't exactly. just like today. We can't say yeah. either way. Right. Yep. But we, we can say with absolute certainty that the one and only condition for eternal life in every age is faith. Yep. And if you haven't trusted in Christ, you need to trust Christ yep. today. That's the only hope. It's not about whether or not you take the mark. Now, after in retrospect, when we after the tribulation, when we're all looking back on it, it will be clear that only those who were believers, uh, you know, that no believer took the mark and only those that were unbelievers did. That's clear. Again, it's descriptive, but it's not giving some kind of a new Prescription. Prescription. Go back and read it again. I'm speaking to those who who Mm -hmm. think about that, who wonder that. It doesn't say if you take the mark of the beast, you will go to hell. It says those who do go to hell. And Revelation 13, 8, about those written in the Lamb's Book of Life uh, will not worship the beast, which includes taking the mark because they're connected. How does that that play in? Yeah, so again, it's it's, uh, descriptive. I believe that at the moment faith meets the gospel, the moment of conversion, which happens at a punctiliar moment in time, right? In one minute, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. You hear and believe the gospel, and instantly justified. you're justified. And I think that's when your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life, in my view. I know there's all kinds of crazy mm-hmm. views out there about it. But so I think, there, you know, Lewis Berry Chafer lists 33 things that happen the mm-hmm. moment faith meets the gospel. You know, reconciliation with God, uh, you know, regeneration instantly, which clearly I believe faith precedes regeneration. Faith is the instrumental cause of regeneration, not the involuntary response to regeneration, mm-hmm. the way Catholic. Uh, Calvinists believe. But anyway, uh, justification, redemption, atonement, uh, names written in the Lamb's Book of Life, adopted into the family of God, mm-hmm. all of these things, in, permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit, sealed with the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. All of those things happen at the moment you become a child of God. And then Revelation is telling us for those who get saved after the rapture, which there will be, as chapter 7 tells us, people from every nation, tribe, tongue, and language that do, uh, for those people, they won't take the mark. So if you're, you know, yeah. First of all, if you're worried about this issue, that's a good sign. You need to get saved. <laughs> yeah, that's a good because sign because you won't be worried about it yep. if you're saved yep. because you won't be here. Yep, and that's true too. Yep. Yeah. So if you're thinking and worried about this issue, it tells me you have doubts about your salvation. Because yeah. if you're a believer today, 
it's a non-issue for you. As you know, it just it just happens when you're out there and and you get a public place, you're going to get uh, comments and responses. And I think there's been a an accusation that you know about. We, we've all dealt with it as, as being in the dispensational uh, thought camp. Is that dispensationalism teaches a different way of salvation in different ages or many ages? And there's a lot of different variations of the accusation. But one of the things that we see here, and you'll see where I'm going, is uh, Charles Ryrie in his 1995 book. Um, he wrote that. The basis of salvation in every age is the death of Christ. He says that the requirement of salvation in every age is faith. The object of faith in every age is God. But the content of that faith changes in every age, and I would add on, based on progressive revelation. So let's, let's unpack that for a moment and because in Revelation 14, it talks about the eternal gospel, and you've written a lot about that. But let's just talk about the gospel. Is there one gospel, or are there many different gospels? What is the, and then let's unpack it for me. Yeah, so yes, there is one gospel in terms of the gospel of eternal salvation or eternal life. The term in the Bible, both in the Septuagint and in the New Testament, euangelizo, is not a technical term. Mm -hmm. Like all words, it has to be defined in context. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, it means good news. And sometimes it just means good news about a king's return from battle or that kind of thing. But yes, theologically, there are plenty of passages that speak of the gospel as that which must be believed in order to have eternal life. 1 Corinthians 15, for example, Mm -hmm. I preached to you the gospel, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, was buried and rose again according to the scripture. That's the gospel by which we are saved. So I think, uh, yeah, there's, there's one gospel, but as uh, one of my mentors that you just quoted, Ryrie, points out, clearly you, the specific content of what must be believed about Jesus is going to change as God revealed more about Jesus through time. But now we have the completed revelation of God. We have everything we need for life and godliness in his self-revelation of mankind, the Bible. So it's very clear what precisely you have to believe to be saved. So let, let's let's jump back for a minute. So um, because you you quoted First Corinthians 15, which is very clear, 3 through 5. This is the gospel, died according to sins, according to scriptures, buried, resurrected. Um, so just to be devil's advocate, are you saying that Noah had to believe in about Jesus dying on the cross? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. So no, I'm saying that in prior to the New Testament, it was still by faith. Genesis 15, 6, Abraham believed and was just justified, declared mm-hmm. righteous, you know, uh, and in every age, that's what man has to believe. But as I said, at that time, that information hadn't been revealed in detail. So Abraham, for example, believed that somehow God and only God could redeem him. But he didn't have the details yet of precisely how he would do that. Uh, in fact, the the concept of Christ of the Christ dying for sins really is, you know, there are only a few passages in the Old Testament that explicitly deal with that. You've got mm-hmm. Isaiah fifty three and the and the servant songs. You've got uh, Daniel nine the mm-hmm. being cut off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then other than that, you've got veiled references. Yeah, maybe Psalm 22 being pierced, you know, yeah, Psalm 12, 22. maybe, you know. Uh, but then you've got the the shadow uh, typologies of Christ, uh, such as uh, the whole sacrificial system and, of course, Abraham and Isaac yep. and others. Mm-hmm. Or even going all the way back to the garden yep. when God covered, made a covering for Adam and Eve with the shed blood. Because we know theologically from Hebrews 9.22, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness. And, you know, they had not experienced death. So Adam and Eve, immediately after sinning, God slaughters two animals. Imagine what that must have been like. Yeah. I mean, they'd never seen And they that. had to watch it. 
and and then he provides this covering and then you get even going on in 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 that narrative you see uh the sacrifices of cain and abel and i believe uh that it was you know cain's sacrifice was unacceptable because it wasn't a blood sacrifice so i think i think there's this theme of 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 the atoning work of the blood then you go up to Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac and so forth. So, no, mm -hmm. it, it, you know, Abraham didn't have to believe Jesus Christ of Nazareth was born of a virgin, lived a perfect, holy, sinless life, died on the cross after walking up the Via Dolorosa, he was crowned <laughs> with thorns, and because all that hadn't happened yet. But he understood, as does anyone who's saved, that you can't save yourself. It's not by works. It's only by grace, and God has to provide the Lamb. Yeah, and, and we, we see there very clearly the... The phraseology of Abraham believed, emunah, right, faith, and accounted. That's that's imputation language, mm -hmm. clearly, that we see yeah. in Romans 4 and other passages. Well, let, let's jump to Revelation 14, because what you see, what I'm seeing often in some of the, the discussions out there is that when this angel shows up in the tribulation towards the end, um, he's bringing with him the eternal gospel, which is this new gospel. It's different than being saved by grace through faith alone. This is a gospel of, they're not denying faith necessarily, but faith plus works, right. which then appears in, in, in 6 and 7, then going to 9 through 11 about the mark. So let, let's read, if you don't mind, yeah. Revelation 14. So Revelation 14, verse 6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel, to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory, for the hour of His judgment has come, and worship Him who made heaven and earth, the sea and springs of water. So is this... This, it doesn't mention Jesus, doesn't mention the gospel, doesn't mention the death of Christ, the resurrection. So plain devil's advocates, clearly this is a different gospel. Right. So this, this is, uh, an, again, a hermeneutical issue. It would be like saying when Paul and Silas talked to the Philippian jailer and all they said was, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. Well, they didn't tell him about the death and resurrection. You know, they didn't say Jesus rose from the dead. So you don't have to believe that. No, it happened in a, it's a historical narrative. And this is a, an, in Revelation, an accounting of a historical account. So this isn't, should not be taken as necessarily the sum total of every last they word that, he, that the angel it's says. It's a yep. summary in context. But, you know, I believe, uh, you know, obviously it would violate the principle of grace and God's salvation by grace through faith to say that somehow during the tribulation, the means of justification has now changed and it's faith plus works. It's not faith plus anything. And, you know, as Paul says in Romans 4, we talked about this in a previous podcast, and Romans 11, uh, Romans 5, it's, it's, we're justified freely by grace. It's not of works. It can't possibly be of works. Works and grace are like oil and water. They can't go together, right? So, uh, but, but I, this is a fascinating passage eschatologically as well as soteriologically uh, because it, 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 if you understand the, the Jesus' promise in Matthew 24 that the second coming won't happen until everybody on earth has heard the gospel. And then the reference here that we just read in, in chapter 14, verse 6, to people of every nation, tribe, tongue, and language, and you go back to Revelation 7 when that's the job of the 144,000 mm -hmm. to do that, and Jesus said everyone on earth is going to he hear the gospel. I believe what's happening here is at the v 11th hour near the very end of the tribulation, because I take the bold judgments as all being in the last two days, three days, 72 hours in preparation for Armageddon. And this is the prelude to that, uh, reaping the earth's harvest. I believe that 
by that time, any person on earth that has not heard the gospel because of the evangelistic missionary endeavors of the 144,000, God will go send this angel to find them and preach the gospel. So that indeed, in fulfillment of Jesus' promise, by the time Christ comes back, every person on earth will have heard the gospel. Mm -hmm. It you know, reminds me of the, of the passage you referenced earlier, just in the sense of uh, without the shedding of blood, there's yeah. no remission of sins. Well, there's no mention of sacrifice. There's no mention of shedding of blood here. And so we, re we recognize that this is a summary statement pointing people yeah. to faith in God. As we saw from Ryrie's statement that the basis in every age is the death of Christ. And yeah. so theologically, from a systematic theology perspective, we understand, well, the death of Christ... We know from First Peter chapter one and Acts four that Jesus, in the mind of God, was crucified before the foundation of the world, foreordained, right, predestined, yeah. whatever the words you want. So the death of Christ was there from the beginning as a mechanism to provide as the basis for salvation. So the angel comes here; he doesn't need to mention blood, but we, otherwise, he's sorry, angel, you got it wrong. You're contradicting Hebrews nine twenty two, right? Right. right? Right. Yeah. No, it's just it's it's not, uh, uh, you know, a blow by blow of everything uh, that is included in the gospel. By that time, the gospel, again, can contextually refer to the content of what must be believed to be saved. Again, it's not a technical doesn't mean that in every case, but it's certainly theologically appropriate to take it that way here, especially with, with the parallels to other passages. And by the way, Mondo, this is not the only time that an, God has used an angel to proclaim mm -hmm. the good news about Christ, yeah. which he did in Bethlehem to the shepherds. So I think uh, it's it's pretty clear when comparing Scripture with Scripture, both theologically and contextually, that the gospel that's being preached here is the gospel unto eternal salvation. And, uh, you know, hopefully those who are alive at that time, if they haven't believed it, they'll believe it. Amen. Everything that we're doing at Prophecy Watchers is vital because Bible prophecy is coming to pass right before our eyes. And it has never been more important for believers to understand what the Bible says about the days that we are living in. In case you haven't noticed, the whole world is spinning out of control, but we are not surprised because many of the things taking place were prophesied in the Bible thousands of years ago. That's why we want to offer you a very special subscription to our magazine, The Prophecy Watcher, that will keep you on the cutting edge of Bible prophecy. Stay informed on prophetic world events. Follow the nuclear threats from Russia and Iran, China's march to world domination, the likelihood of another global pandemic, the rise of artificial intelligence and transhumanism, war in the Middle East, the UFO phenomenon, and the latest technology preparing the world for the mark of the beast. The Prophecy Watcher magazine features articles from leading prophecy experts like Gary Stearman, Mondo Gonzalez, Thomas Ice, Randall Price, L.A. Marzulli, Bill Salas, and many others. With your gift of $50 or more to support the worldwide outreach of Prophecy Watchers, you will receive 12 issues of the magazine in either print or digital format. You will also receive 10 bonus DVDs that feature in-depth teaching on the ancient book of Enoch, heaven and the new Jerusalem, the biblical case for the rapture, a look at how God put the gospel in the stars, what really happened at the Tower of Babel, and Ezekiel's prophecy on the battle of Gog and Magog, 
This special offer is available anywhere in the United States with free shipping included. Don't wait. Pick up the phone right now and call the toll-free number on your screen or visit us at prophecywatchers.tv. Stand with us today and help us take the message of Christ's soon return to the whole world.